Hi, everybody. Welcome to Trinity. It is so good to have you all with us for worship uh, today. If you have Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. We're going to go ahead and just jump right into our time in the Word together. So if you have Bibles, go ahead and get those out. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1, start in verse 21. We'll read and then we'll pray. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, Lord, we, we welcome you, we invite you to be with us here now, Lord, wherever it is that we're gathered, in our homes, on our couches, in our beds, in our yards, with our people or on our own. Lord, we come to you, bring ourselves before you, Lord, as the church scattered And we ask you, God, by your power, Holy Spirit, will you draw us close to yourself? You soften our hearts, Lord. Open us, Lord, to make us vulnerable to you and to one another, that we might, Lord, in the spirit of this season, be drawn to you and drawn together. Lay hands of peace on us, Lord. We trust you, Jesus. We love your voice. Will you speak now to us, Lord, in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. So this is uh, still the season of Epiphany. Epiphany is the time in the church, of course, as we've said in weeks past, in which we're talking about what it means to make Jesus known in a way that draws people both to himself and to other people. Over and over again, we're going to see this happen uh, in the Gospels in particular. When Jesus is revealed, when he's made known, things happen. They can't stay the same. That's sort of the point of the spirit of Epiphany, this whole season. It's like if Jesus will be made known, when he's revealed, when he's given room to exercise his authority, things happen. Inevitably, they cannot remain, will not uh, remain the same. Last week, uh, we sat with a story of Jesus calling the disciples, taught through and reflected on that story and what it meant. What we see happening there is Jesus is made known, right? He comes out, begins his ministry, begins to exercise authority, and when he's exercising that authority, immediately disciples are drawn to him. He calls his, his first disciples. Today's story is a little bit different, but I think actually very similar. I think these stories have something in common. It's really important that Mark's trying to help us see, which is why he puts them right up next to one another. That's sort of uh, his thing. Mark likes to do the sandwich. He'll put these stories uh, together in order to help us interpret them in light of one another. And so I think he's got something really important to show us about who Jesus is and what it means for him to be made known. Uh, 
in this story that we just read, Jesus is teaching in a synagogue in Capernaum. And as he's made known, which is kind of like our shorthand for this whole season of Epiphany, and specifically what that looks like in this story is that Jesus is made known through his teaching. Jesus begins to teach and exercise authority through his teaching. And as that happens, an unclean spirit, Mark tells us, is driven out of someone. So that's Jesus is made known, he exercises his authority, and this unclean spirit comes out. In the first story, the story of Jesus and the disciples, the preceding story, as Jesus is made known, begins to exercise his authority by calling disciples, what happens is that the disciples are also drawn out and drawn to him. Specifically, their faith, their courage, the life of God in them is drawn out so that it can increase. Peter, James, and John didn't know much about um, who Jesus was, and arguably they had a lot to learn, so much life still in front of them. And what happens when Jesus calls them is that that small seed, be it of faith or of courage or of spiritual authority, that small seed is given a chance to be drawn out and increased in them. Conversely, in the story we just read, Jesus exercises authority and this demon, this influence or agent of darkness is drawn out, driven out, and is ultimately diminished. So here's what I think maybe Mark might be trying to tell us in a kind of Bible-y sort of way. Here's the point I wonder um, if you might be making. And this is sort of our, our first point. When Jesus exercises authority, the life of God is drawn out and increased in us, while the influence of darkness is driven away and diminished. So I want to say it again. Jesus exercises authority. When that happens, when he's given room to exercise authority in our life, the life of God in us is drawn out and given an opportunity to increase, while the influence of darkness at work in our own hearts, our own lives, is driven away so that it might be diminished. And I think this is a really important point, while it may be arguably a simple one. What we're saying ultimately, what I hear the Lord saying uh, through Mark in these stories is that when I will give space to Jesus, when he will take up the room in my life that he's meant to occupy, I'll put myself under his authority. Inevitably what happens is that the life that God created in me, the goodness in me, be it faith or courage or kindness or generosity or humility, those things are drawn out by Jesus and they increase while simultaneously, while under his authority, places in my heart that are plagued by darkness, where I have sort of given my, a corner of my heart or my life over to the, to the enemy or to his influence, that influence, be it bitterness or cynicism or anger, those things are driven out. They're diminished. And some of you might be thinking, well, this is like such a simple point. What is this Sunday school? Um, yeah, kind of. It's an incredibly simple point, but I think a really important one. It's why we make such a big deal here, here at Trinity about the necessity of putting myself daily, regularly, under the authority of the words of Jesus. Because they have a power an efficacy, an ability to do something in me, namely this kind of increase or drawing out of God's goodness. That's just the way creation works. That's not just true in my own life. That's true in the world around us. We see this, for example, even in the Genesis story. When God speaks, when he's looking out over 
creation, which was at the time a formless wad of chaos, and God speaks and says, let there be light. What happens in that story is that life, goodness, responds to the voice of God and is drawn out in a way so that there's light, while simultaneously chaos, the darkness, is driven back. I think that image is at play here, even in Mark's gospel. That's what Mark saw happening in the world around him. The more of Jesus' voice, the more of his authority that is made manifest or revealed in the world, the more peace, the more life, the more light there is. While necessarily, all the other stuff, the influences of darkness, are driven back. And I think this is a really important point just for us to sit with. And what does that mean? How does that fact make a claim on me? What invitation might there be from God in my own life? I want to shift gears for just a moment and talk a little bit about this idea of Jesus' authority, which Mark seems to be impressing upon us, making a kind of thing about. At verse 22, Mark writes, He taught as one having authority, not as the scribes. So Mark is sort of intentionally making a distinction between the teaching and the authority of Jesus and the authority of the scribes, who were, of course, the official authority when it came to matters of the law. That was literally their thing. But Mark's saying there's something else happening. I mean, the scribes are, of course, known. Their authority was derived from their intelligence, their knowledge, and their social standing, which that intelligence and knowledge, understanding, even that calling or vocation afforded them. It gave them a status. And that was the source of their authority. What Mark's saying is something is different about Jesus and the authority that he had and wielded in a moment like this. Maybe his authority was coming from somewhere else or it did something else. And that's interesting for us to think about because Mark can't possibly be saying, of course, that Jesus was any less intelligent or maybe he looked in some way less powerful. Um, Jesus, I suspect, uh, had an air about him of authority, and he obviously knew as much as these other guys, you know, himself being the word of God and all. And yet, there was something different about the way that he chose to exercise that authority. There was something that people marveled at that was of a different sort altogether. So here's the second point. The authority of Jesus is always leveraged for the sake of life and liberation. The authority of Jesus is always leveraged for the sake of life and liberation. Here's what I mean by that. I think when most of us think about authority or what it means to have authority or power, what typically comes to mind is that what that means is uh, to have an elevated position, some, a position that other people or the people around you maybe don't have. Uh, to have power or authority is to have agency and influence in a way that other people uh, don't have. So it's something that I have that you don't have. That's what gives me authority or power. I think that's how a lot of us, uh, just as a default, tend to think of it. And I wonder if what Mark isn't saying is that that is a kind of authority. It's the authority the scribes had. That's the authority of the scribes, and it's somehow different than the authority that Jesus had. The authority of Jesus, contrastly, 
is the power of heaven, and it functions very differently. Over and over again, this is true throughout the Bible. I I want us to think together about this, for example. When you imagine the authority or the power of Jesus, if you were going to imagine him at his most authoritative or his most powerful, what moment, according to the Gospels, would that be? Was it when he walked on the water? Was it at the Mount of Transfiguration? powerful demonstration of of glory and a supernatural event. Those things, incredible as they are, according to the Gospels, that's actually not the sort of like ultimate or most quintessential demonstration of Jesus' power. That, of course, happened on the cross. When Jesus chose to conquer death in the grave through demonstrations of humility, vulnerability, and sacrifice, and then after conquering, to hand that victory that he secured over to us. That's sort of the the beauty, the power of the message of the cross, right? It's what Paul says, like, the power of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved is the power of God. It is a very specific kind of power, the power to lift up, to give life, and to liberate even at a cost to myself. Similarly, in this story, whenever Jesus is exercising authority, demons cower. That's true. That happens. They're pretty intimidated by him. And maybe everybody else was too. Maybe it was that they were so impressed with kind of his air and his wisdom and his knowledge. I think all those things are very likely true. But I think the thing that people really marveled at, the thing that got people's attention, that made them say out loud, what is this? A new teaching with authority is that when Jesus came close and the more authoritative he became, the more free people began to feel. The closer he got, the more of him there was. Something in them came to life and began to stir. That's the exercise of the authority of heaven. N.T. Wright says this, and it came to mind as I was sitting and study. It's one of, I think, the most, uh, it's a brilliant essay. Maybe should be required reading for the church. It's called uh, the essay, The Authority of Scripture. N.T. writes this. Authority is not the power to control people and to keep them in little boxes. The church often tries to do that, to tidy people up. God's authority vested in scripture is designed as all God's authority is designed to liberate human beings, to judge and condemn evil and sin in the world in order to set people free to be fully human. That's what God is in the business of doing. That is what his authority is there for. Here's why I think this matters so much to us. When you imagine the authority or the power that you have, how do you measure it? Because the world has a metrics for you, for how you would measure the authority or power influence you have, and it would sound like this, how high do you rank? How much, how much do you get paid? How much influence do you have over other people? How much do they listen to you? How much control do you have? And if we 
are measuring our own authority and influence that we have in the world around us and the lives of the people around us by that metrics. And I believe what the Holy Spirit is saying through Mark is we are trying to exercise the authority of the scribes when the gospel has tried to give to us the authority of Jesus, which functions very differently. Imagine if the church, every single one of us, was measuring our authority this way. What if we measured it by the degree to which I was able to draw out goodness in the people around me? By the degree to which I was able to like, push back oppression and sin in the people around me. The degree to which I was willing to sacrifice for the sake of loving someone else. What if that was the way that I measured the authority, the influence, and the power that I have? I promise you the church would look different, feel different, sound different to the world around us. And I also want to say, your job, your paycheck, your likes on Instagram, they cannot give you the power and authority that Jesus intends for you to have. They just can't. They only have the authority of the scribes to offer you. The authority of Jesus comes only from him and by his spirit. And you're meant to have it. I'm meant to have it. I want to say this clearly before I, before I close. It, it, it should be said. I am someone who lives my life, tries to live my life very gladly under authority doesn't mean it's easy, but I gladly submit to the authority in my life because to be without boundaries always is to be always lost. I've been there. I know a little bit about what that feels like, and I did not like it as much as I thought I would. So I sort of, I mean, I prayerfully, gladly submit my life to the authority of Jesus, to his word, to my bishop, to the church, to my boss, to my mama. I gladly put my life under the authority of these I love because authority because authority is good for us. If authority is good authority is good for us if the authority is good and I think that's the question we ought to be asking ourselves is the authority that I have the power the influence that I have am I leveraging it for the sake of life and liberation in the people around me do I see the kingdom of heaven advanced in the way that it's spent does it look like Jesus or not Amen. All right. Now we have some questions for your reflection. If you happen to be on your own, you can just use these for your own personal use. If you're with a group, you all can discuss these together or keep them for your own benefit, whatever you choose to do. Three questions for reflection. Where do you sense God drawing out and increasing goodness in you? Number two, can you name something in you that needs to be driven out. 
maybe has been influenced less by Jesus, more by the darkness in the world around us. Number three, how might you begin to be more intentional in leveraging power in the way of Jesus or authority in the way of Jesus? Amen. Now we're going to do as we do every week. This is um, the time where we, we pray. And for all of you who are at home, for you to begin to gather your communion elements, just a reminder and for those of you who call Trinity home, our giving and our tithes are our act of worship. When we gather in person every week, we say this is an opportunity for us to demonstrate that we belong to the church, that we support the mission that God has called us to do together. And so if Trinity is home for you, you can, of course, give online. Um, if you're uh, with us from afar, we want to encourage you, give to your local church, wherever it is that you live, to advance the work that they're doing in the communities around you. And also want to remind you that um, if you would like to do communion, either uh, kind of on your own or with people around you, you can come by our offices through the week and pick up those kits. We have communion elements available for you. Okay, amen. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer uh, together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. We will see you next week.